the Catholic world, the letters IHS can be seen in many places, including churches, altars, and tombstones, and even as the logo of the Jesuits. But what do these letters mean, and where do they come from? The answer may not be what you think. God bless America. God love you. I want these to be my first words of greeting to you. They will be the concluding words on each broadcast. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president. Annuncio opis, gaudium magnum, abemus papam. You've embarked on a Catholic history trek. The Holy Name of Jesus has power. It's a consolation in spiritual trials and a protection against evil. Jesus advised his apostles, If you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. Before ascending to heaven, Jesus foretold, In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. St. Peter invokes the holy name of Jesus to perform miracles as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 3, he invokes the name, causing the lame to rise and walk. In chapter 9, he again invokes the name of Jesus to heal Anessa, who is ill with the palsy for eight years. A few verses later, Peter raises Dorcas back to life. In St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, he commends, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Traditionally, Catholics have uncovered their heads and bent their knees at the holy name. It is common, especially at a traditional Mass, for Catholics to bow their heads every time the name of Jesus is mentioned. In the Code of Justinian, the Emperor commended that they invoked the holy name of God, and in several places the Code mentions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the onset of a new section. So, where does this name, Jesus, come from? We can find the origin of the name Jesus in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, when an angel proclaimed to Mary and Joseph what their son would be named. At the Annunciation of the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the angel says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Later, when Joseph discovered she was with child by the Holy Ghost, he thought of protecting her by putting her away privately. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph to stop him from this course of action. The angel declared, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he was not called Jesus. That is an English translation of his holy name. In the Holy Land 2,000 years ago, you would find a mix of languages, but modern English was not one of them. The primary languages were Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. In Hebrew, his name was Yehoshua, meaning Yahweh saves. This is where we get the name Joshua. Hebrew was the official and religious language of the people, but Aramaic was the common tongue of the people. In some ways, similar to Catholics of past generations who had a religious language of Latin, for their masses and prayers, 
but spoke English or some other common language for their day-to-day lives. I believe in Aramaic, this Hebrew name of Yehoshua was shortened to the name Yeshua. This would have been the name by which he was familiarly known. As Christianity spread to the Greek-speaking Gentiles, Yeshua was translated to Greek as Jesus. It was typically spelled as Iota Eta Sigma Omicron Upsilon Sigma. In early Christian inscriptions and art, the name of Jesus was often abbreviated as a monogram, basically fewer letters than the six letters spelling the name of Jesus. After Constantine's victory at the Battle of Milvian Bridge, the monogram Cairo was used, which was the symbol Constantine saw in the vision. In the East, other monograms were used, such as letters that looked like IC for Jesus Christus or ICXC, which saw much use. Another very popular monogram was formed from the first three Greek letters of Jesus, which are Iota, Eta, Sigma. When this three-letter Greek monogram from the East was adopted by the Latin-speaking Christians in the West, the Iota, Eta, Sigma were replaced by the Latin letters, which they most looked like. Iota looks like the letter I, Eta looks like an H, and Sigma sort of looks like an S. So the symbols went from the Greek Iota Eta Sigma to the Latin IHS. But, interestingly enough, IHS doesn't actually mean anything in Latin. This is because what looks like an H in Greek is not really an H in Latin. The Greek letter Eta, which looks like the consonant H, is pronounced like the vowel E. So the Latin spelling of the name of Jesus is I-E-S-U-S, not I-H-S-U-S. And so a three-letter monogram of the first three letters of the name of Jesus in Latin would correctly be I-E-S. It's similar to how some of the letters of the Russian Cyrillic alphabet look like English letters but sound totally different. For example, the backward R is YA, and the backward N is E. So, the IHS monogram is not the first three letters of the Latin name of Jesus. Instead, it is the first three letters of the Greek name of Jesus, which have been replaced by their closest-looking Latin letters. And one of the three, Eta, was replaced by a letter with a completely different sound. As the centuries progressed, the IHS monogram remained, although its meaning seems to have been lost for a while, as during the medieval period, there was a time when an H was incorrectly added into the name of Jesus, changing the spelling from I-E-S-U-S to I-H-E-S-U-S, possibly due to the H present in the IHS symbol. And about 900 years ago, the popularity of the IHS monogram began to grow thanks to several saints who popularized its usage. The first of these is the 12th century Cistercian, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, mentioned in episode 67 on the Cistercians. He was devoted to the holy name of Jesus and spoke glowingly of it in his sermons. A few examples of his include the lines, If you write books... Let the name of Jesus be contained in them, else they will possess no charm or attraction for me. When you speak the name of Jesus, when you speak, if the name of Jesus sounds not from your lips, you are without unction and without charm. 
Jesus, to me, is honey in the mouth, light in the eyes, a flame in our heart. The name of Jesus is the cure for all diseases of the soul. And finally, the sweet name of Jesus produces in us holy thoughts, fills the soul with noble sentiments, strengthens virtue, begets good works, and nourishes pure affections. In the 14th century, Blessed John Columbini became an unlikely advocate of the holy name of Jesus. Columbini began his life as a regular worldly man, married with two children. He was devoted to business in increasing his already substantial fortune. When he was not living for greed, he pursued avarice, ambition, and anger. After one particular bout of anger, he chanced to take upon a biography of St. Mary of Egypt, who had lived a life of severe penance after an earlier life of sin. Like with St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was converted upon reading the lives of the saints, something in the life of St. Mary of Egypt resonated with Columbini, and he experienced a conversion. So, like St. Francis of Assisi, he cast aside his rich clothing and donned the garments of the most destitute. He abandoned his worldly associations and instead visited hospitals, tended the sick, and made large donations to the poor, and he turned his home into a refuge for the needy and suffering. After establishing a lifelong annuity for his wife, who did not follow his extreme conversion, he divested himself of the remainder of his wealth and began a religious order devoted to the care of the poor, prayer, burial of the dead, and strict mortification. This order became known as the Jesuati, not to be confused with the similar-sounding Jesuits. Columbini typically wore the IHS emblem upon his breast to promote the holy name of Jesus. A century later, a pair of Franciscan saints, John of Capistrano and Bernardine of Siena, became the most prolific promoters of the holy name of Jesus and the IHS monogram. St. John of Capistrano was like Blessed John Columbini as a secular man with no intentions of a religious vocation. John of Capistrano had gotten married, become a lawyer, and governor of Prussia. After a war broke out, he traveled as governor to arrange for peace, but when he reached his destination, he was seized, loaded with chains, and cast into prison. While in prison, a Franciscan surrounded by lights miraculously appeared to him and invited him to leave the world and join the Franciscans. And decades later, began a preaching apostolate which found much success. He taught hard truths with a fervor and life of holiness that drew throngs of people to hear his preaching. Sometimes, 50,000 to 100,000 people would overcrowd a church, forcing him to deliver sermons in courtyards and fields. Many honors were thrust upon the saint for his miraculous healings in the countless conversions of hardened sinners and apostates who returned to the church. But amidst such praises, he would always say, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. And he would most famously invoke the holy name at the age of 70 when he trekked to Belgrade to join John Hunyadi in the defense of the city which was besieged by the Ottoman Turks. John of Capistrano had given the soldiers the holy name of Jesus as their standard, and holding aloft the cross with the banner, with the holy name inscribed, he led the troops into battle against the enemies of God while calling upon the holy name. This battle, led by the saint, became known as the Miracle of Belgrade, described in our episode on the history of the Angelus, episode 73. 
St. Bernardine of Siena, who was the theology teacher of Johnny Capistrano, also undertook a preaching mission throughout Italy, combating immoral vices which ran rampant in their day. Both Bernardine of Siena and John of Capistrano wrought many miracles and helped influence the conversion of thousands of wayward sinners back to God, and both men used the IHS Christogram to promote devotion to the holy name of Jesus. In their preaching missions, they carried a wooden placard with the IHS surrounded by rays like the sun. They would bless the faithful with it, invoking the holy name of Jesus, upon which many miracles were reported. And at the end of their sermons, they would exhibit this IHS from veneration and encourage the people to place it over their doorways of their homes and gates of their cities, instead of the customary heraldic crests. Objections were raised against this devotion, which some deemed novel or superstitious, and so the friars were called before Pope Martin V. St. John of Capistrano defended the devotion so well that the Pope approved veneration to the holy name of Jesus. Although the Pope did ask that a cross be included in the IHS monogram, which was added above the letter H. In the 16th century, St. Ignatius of Loyola adopted the IHS monogram as the symbol for the Jesuits. His logo closely resembled the one used by St. Bernardine and St. John with the sunburst rays and the cross above the H as requested by Pope Martin V. St. Ignatius also added three nails below the letters IHS in his Jesuit symbol. As mentioned previously, IHS isn't a monogram for the first three Latin letters of the holy name of Jesus, which would be I-E-S, but they are the Latin letters, which look the most like the first three Greek letters of the holy name of Jesus, Iota Eta Sigma. Because of the discrepancy between the letters I-H-S and the spelling of Jesus in Latin, other interpretations have been incorrectly given to the letters I-H-S over the years. A couple common ones are the acronyms of Latin words Jesus Hominum Salvator, meaning Jesus Savior of Mankind, and Jesus Habermus Socium, meaning Jesus Our Companion. Another interesting misinterpretation in Latin may have been expedited by the addition of the nails on the Jesuit emblem, which sort of look like a V below the letters IHS. Combining them, you'd have IHSV, which was then treated as an acronym for the Latin phrase in hoc signo vinces, which translated means in the sign you shall conquer, which refers to the vision Constantine had before the Battle of Milvian Bridge. A more recent and fraudulent incorrect meaning assigned to the letters IHS originates with the more fanatical anti-Catholic members of Protestantism who insist the letters stand for the English translations of a trio or trinity of Egyptian deities, Isis, Horus, and Seb. There are many problems with this assertion. The most obvious is there's no Egyptian deity named Seb. The Egyptians did have a god named Set and another one named Geb, who had sometimes been incorrectly translated to Seb, but they never had a deity who was correctly named Seb, which makes it kind of embarrassing that whoever invented this anti-Catholic claim couldn't even get the Egyptian names right. Another problem is that while Egyptian mythology did have trios of deities, Isis, Horus, and this mystery god Seb 
never formed such a trinity. Isis, Horus, and Osiris did, but of course that trinity would spell I-H-O, not I-H-S, which is probably why they had to invent this god Seb to make sure they could spell I-H-S. I suppose if they knew their Egyptology a little better, perhaps they wouldn't have invented a slander that was so blatantly nonsense. Another modern mistranslation of IHS is rendered as in his service, but this also falls into the fallacy of assuming the letters originate as an acronym of English words, ignoring that the monogram IHS predates the popular use of the English language by many centuries. It's similar to how some associate the letters AD with the phrase after death. As in, this podcast episode was recorded in 2023 AD. In reality, the letters AD come from the Latin words anno domini, meaning in the year of our Lord. Catholic History Trek was brought to you today by the Latin letters I, H, and S. And I'll ask you to please take a moment to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you don't miss out on the history of other fascinating letters. And in honor of these Latin letters, I will be closing this episode, as Kevin and I always do, with a prayer in the traditional language of the church. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuturat in Principio et Nunc et Semper et in Saecula Saeculorum. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at catholichistorytrek at gmail.com.